Over the last few weeks, amongst many other things that we've talked about, we have alluded to evolution and how evolution is responsible for the state in which we find ourselves as modern human beings. Let me clarify that ever so slightly. Your mind, your brain, the shape of your brain is the product of approximately 1.8 million years of evolution. Evolution is a slow and grinding process. The way in which we have adapted over time has changed the way in which our brains are structured and shaped. It's a process known as neural plasticity, to which I've referred a couple of weeks ago as well. It means that your brain and the shape of your brain adapts and changes and restructures itself according to the use to which you put it. Now, unfortunately, if you're using your mind normally as 96% approximately of people are, you're not putting your brain to any use at all every day. Rather than using your brain, your brain is using you or perhaps abusing you. Therefore, you're stuck in this vicious circle where your mood is used by your thinking brain to select the next thoughts that you think, which dictate your mood, which is used to select the next thoughts that you think, which dictate your mood. You see where I'm going with this. I'm going nowhere with it at all, because that is where most people's lives actually go. Nowhere at all. Now, you may say to yourself, that's a rather stark statement that I've just made, but I'm going to explore that further in just a couple of minutes. So bear with me, because I want to make a couple of points, first of all, about evolution. Because over the last couple of weeks, whether it be in this podcast or on video, my Thursday morning videos, I have mentioned how when we take control of our state of mind, when we meditate, we restructure the key components of our brain to enable us make decisions and solve problems and live our lives in a different way. I actually have used the phrase quantum leap, that those people, and perhaps you are one of them at this stage, who are meditating regularly, have made, already made, an evolutionary quantum leap because the shape of their brain through the phenomenon that I mentioned a minute ago, known as neural plasticity, means that their brains are now structured in a different way and that they are now fit for purpose in the 21st century. You see, for the vast majority of people, the modern human brain is totally unsuited for the life that we now attempt to live. Our brains developed to enable us hunt and gather and collaborate. Now, this is a really interesting one, because whereas I've just said, when you meditate, you take an evolutionary quantum leap, there is evidence throughout the evolutionary record that quantum leaps have taken place before. Evolution is such a slow and grinding process that it would be impossible for the human race to have the kind of brain it has 
developed over that period of 1.8 million years without it taking leaps at some points along the way. Now, obviously, we can't 100% say what happened 1.6 million years ago or 1.4 million years ago to the development of the human brain, but the evolutionary record suggests that there have been quantum leaps before. And perhaps the key quantum leap that has been observed and studied in that evolutionary record is the development of language. We converse with each other as human animals in a way that is totally different to the way in which all other animals on this planet converse with each other. Yes, some animals and some species have such highly refined instincts that they know when a storm is coming and they can communicate that to each other. But they can't collaborate with each other in the way in which humans can. And evolutionary psychologists posit the theory that we are where we are, the primary species on the planet, for better or for worse. We are where we are as a result of language giving us the ability to collaborate with each other, to come up with plans and strategies to enable us to do things that other animals cannot do. Now, the really, really sad thing about this is that if you look at human history, you will realize that what was our greatest advantage has become our own undoing. Somewhere along the way, our ability to collaborate, our defining advantage, became an ability to compete, an ability to want what others have, an ability to want more, or perhaps a disability. If you look at the world today on a global scale with the geopolitical events that are taking place, you will realize that the ability to collaborate has been completely lost to so-called global leaders, as we now find that everybody is invested in this disability called competition. We're not going to solve the world's problems in this little podcast, but we're going to solve your world's problems. We're not going to change the world, but we're going to change your world. Because once you begin to change the way in which your brain is structured and the way in which your brain consequently operates, your world is going to be markedly different. But that dichotomy between being able to collaborate on the one hand or compete with each other on the other hand, begs the question as to whether there is right and wrong, or if we go a little bit further down that road, good and evil. Is there a battle going on between good and evil? Well, the answer to that question is in your own mind, in your own brain. Yes, there is, because there's a battle going on between right and wrong. How many times over the course of these podcast episodes, over the course of over 800 videos that I send out every Thursday morning? Well, I don't send out 800 every Thursday morning. I've been sending out videos for over 800 weeks at this stage. But how many times have I used the phrase doing the right thing and avoiding doing the wrong thing or saying the right thing 
and avoiding saying the wrong thing. Clearly, clearly, in our own ordinary everyday lives, there is right and wrong. In other words, there's good and evil. And this isn't something that we have to think about in any great detail. It isn't something that we have to philosophize or hypothesize about. You know what I'm talking about. You say the wrong thing and make matters worse. You do the wrong thing and dig yourself a bigger hole. You throw people under the bus rather than taking responsibility for something you have or haven't done. We all do it. We all do it all of the time. Or should I say, we do it all of the time when we are mindless. Because the difference between good and evil and right and wrong is down to a simple choice that we make. Now, you've heard me talking about this as well. And it's not the choice to do the right thing or the wrong thing. It's a much simpler choice than that. The choice to be present or absent. The choice to be mindful or mindless. The choice to take a breath and realize what's going on so that you have a moment to understand what the right thing is to do and avoid doing the wrong thing. Or the choice to say, ah, oh, to hell with this, I'll go in with my two feet first and put both of them in it. So clearly in our own everyday lives, there is right and wrong. But the choice we have to make is a simple one between being present or not present. Now, I said to you a couple of weeks ago, you can't say to yourself, oh, I'm going to be present today if you haven't experienced what presence feels like. We only really and truly learn through experience. So if you haven't meditated, or if you haven't meditated enough to experience what it is like to be present, let me put it in simpler English, to feel what it is like to be present. You can't decide today, well, I'm going to be present. In exactly the same way as I said a few weeks ago, if you've never experienced flow, and if you want to know more about flow, read Mihaly Jitsetmihai's book called Flow. All you have to do is Google the word flow and type in M-I-H-A-L-Y and it'll come up. But you can't decide, oh, today I'm going to be in flow if you don't know what flow feels like. It's all about experience. And that is why meditation is so important. Meditation is important on so many different levels. For starters, I cover some of the fundamental reasons why we need to meditate in this week's training video that will go out tomorrow, November the 9th, a Thursday morning, one of my Thursday morning videos, but a Thursday morning video with a difference because over the next three weeks, I have put together longer videos, which in effect are a training course to enable you take the right decisions make the right choices, turn up to the here and now, do the right thing to move yourself in the direction that you would love your life to go. So we need to meditate. We need to meditate because of what it does for our brain in restructuring it, as I've described a number of times. We need to meditate because what a restructured brain does for our bodies, healthy mind, healthy body. I cover that in more detail in this week's Thursday morning video. 
But above all, we need to meditate because it brings us back to basics. It brings us back to an experience of the here and now versus something that you couldn't even call an experience. The way in which we see our reality through the fog of thought. And this is the biggest disadvantage that evolution has given us. When we developed language and when we learned to collaborate and then unfortunately learned to compete, we learned how to frame complex ideas. A lot of nations are simply built on an idea, and that is what enables people to collaborate. But in developing our ability to think about complex situations and ideas, what has become of us? We now use thought on a daily basis, or thought abuses us on a daily basis, to wonder about what might happen in the future, to worry about what might happen in the future, to what if this, what if that, what if the other. And all of these activities don't just take us away from the here and now, they take us down roads that lead nowhere. Actually, that's not true, because worry will lead to stress, and stress will lead to heart disease, and stress will kill you prematurely. So they do lead somewhere, the kind of place that none of us, if we had half a head on our shoulders, would want to go. We need to stop thinking. We need not to unravel the facilities that we developed over the evolutionary trajectory. We don't need to unravel those. We need to put them in their place. because. The thoughts that abuses every day, which I said a moment ago, are not the thoughts of today. They are, as we explored over the last few weeks, the thoughts that we learned to think when we were two or three or four years old, up to the age of 12 or 13. And after the age of 12 or 13, we keep thinking the same thoughts every day. Cognitive psychology has known this for years. Neuroscience has confirmed it in a variety of ways over the last decade. You are thinking roughly 70,000 thoughts today. But because that noise is so great in your head, you're not even aware that you're thinking the vast majority of those thoughts. They're just jollying you along. And clearly that is not an appropriate description of ordinary everyday life for most people. But they're enabling you make it through the day. And almost all of the 70,000 thoughts that you will have today, that will entertain you today, will be the same as the 70,000 thoughts that entertained you yesterday, the day before, and tomorrow will be a repeat performance. We live on a loop. We live in that vicious circle that I talked about earlier on, where our mood dictates which thoughts we think and our thoughts dictate the mood we're in. And so we go further down the rabbit hole. The further we go down the rabbit hole, the further we distance ourselves from the reality of the here and now. And the further we become distanced from knowing what the right thing is to do and what the wrong thing is to avoid doing. In fact, we actually simply and automatically keep saying the wrong things and doing the wrong things. The chance that any of the things we say and do today might be right is remote simply by virtue of how outdated the 70,000 thoughts in our head today actually are. I said a few minutes ago that if you gained control 
of your state of mind, in fact, I've said this many times over the years, it would change your life. You might actually start living your life to the full. What does that mean? Well, let's explore it in a little detail. Because as I said earlier on, we're not going to change the world today, but you can change your world today. And in changing your world, it has, and quantum physics explores this beautifully in terms of how our energy affects the energy of others. In changing your world today, you will make the world of those people around you a better place too. So in other words, if enough of us actually got our heads straight, we might actually change the world. But let's just deal with the basics. Let's keep things simple. As I said, meditation enables us to come back to basics. And what we need to do ourselves is come back to the basics of what it takes to live your life to the full. The normal mind. Making it through the day is trying to, a phrase I used a minute ago, jolly themselves along. In other words, they know somewhere deep down they never think about it they never reflect upon it because of the way the normal mind works but if you were to stop and reflect upon your ordinary everyday life up to now you'd probably realize that it was a series of repeat performances a series of making mistakes and making the same mistakes again a series of rarely learning from anything that has happened a series of just as i said making it through the day the thoughts that we learned during our formative years create a cocoon for us. That cocoon provides us with the boundaries of our perceived reality. Let me put it in starker terms. Our thoughts create a prison for us. That prison we think is real. We live in a prison cell created by our own thoughts and the normal way in which we deal with that is to decorate our prison cell if i can stick with that analogy when we go on holidays we put up nice posters of where we've been in our prison cell we create memories in fact most people i've noticed and maybe you've noticed it too on holidays aren't on holidays anymore they're taking photographs of being on holidays so that they're not there while they're taking the photographs and the chances of them actually looking at the photographs later are slim to none so people don't even go on holidays anymore but let's stick with what i was saying a minute ago before we go any further that's not an unimportant aside Technology has fueled our descent into the world of somewhere other than where we are now. Reflect on that. But let's come back to my analogy of the prison cell. People are living in this prison cell thinking it's reality because that's simply the way the mind works. Oh, this is my reality. And it's simply the product of the 70,000 thoughts in my own head. And most importantly, obviously, or most destructively, what I think about myself. So I'm in my prison cell. Now, in order to make myself happy in my prison cell, I need to decorate it. So I'll buy myself a nice car, buy myself a nice handbag, nice shoes. I'll go on nice holidays, buy myself nice clothes, buy myself a load of things that paper over the cracks of the walls of my prison cell, distract me or attempt to distract me from the fact that deep down I know 
that I'm going through the motions from one day to the next. I'm making it through the day. When we start meditating, we realize that the door to our prison cell isn't locked. We can simply put our hand on the handle, turn it, and open the door. And I'll quote an online program owner on this straight away. He said to me a couple of months ago, he said, when I started meditating, I opened a door. And when I stepped out that door, opportunity met me on a gentle breeze. Wonderful expression, isn't it? Because opportunity doesn't slap you across the face. Opportunity, as we said last week when we talked about drowning in a sea of opportunity, opportunity is all around us. All we have to do is open our eyes or to follow my analogy, open the door. The door to your prison cell isn't locked. That's the first thing we realize. And we realize that, as I said a few minutes ago, through experience. We actually experience the freedom of being present. And generally speaking, people will deliberately experience that for the first time through meditation. You may have undeliberately experienced that before. You know, when you hit a natural high, when you're looking out at a beautiful sunset and not taking a photograph of it, by the way, or at the birth of your first child or something magnificent that you experience. Sometimes presence creeps up on us, as I said, undeliberately. But if we're going to take control of our lives and change them, we need to be very deliberate about this. And the most deliberate action you can take, right action you can take, is to meditate. Because for starters, it'll enable you to realize the door to the cell isn't locked. You can walk out anytime you like. And the more you experience this freedom through presence of mind, the more you experience this liberation as a result of becoming increasingly mindful, as distinct from normal, crazy, mindless, the more you can walk through that door. And the more you walk through that door in meditation, the more you can walk through that door during the course of the day. Because, as I said earlier on, through meditation, you have already taken the evolutionary quantum leap by restructuring the key components of your brain that will enable you make the right choice moment to moment during the course of your day. The choice to be present. The more you experience this in the course of your daily life as a result of your everyday training through meditation, the more and the sooner you will get to the point where out liberated in the free world, where you have just let go, out in a new world where you are the co-creator with universal energy of the kind of life that you would love to live, you turn back to look at the open cell door and realize there was no cell. The cell is only created by your own thoughts. Now, everybody, or 96% of people, I was going to say should be locked up. They actually are locked up. They're locked up in their own prison cells. The result of which is that, as I said right at the beginning today, 
people aren't collaborating with each other anymore. They're killing each other. But actually what they're doing is killing themselves. Because if I'm existing day to day as a result of the 70,000 thoughts that create my prison cell, I'm anxious. I'm stressed. I'm frustrated. I'm angry with myself. I'm angry with others. And those thoughts, that anger, is a poison that I administer to me every day in the hope that it'll kill somebody else. Utter, utter madness. That's why last week's podcast episode was simply called To Succeed, You Really Need to Just Let Go. What are we letting go of? We're letting go of the 70,000 thoughts. We're letting go of who we thought we were. We're letting go of our perceived inadequacies. We're letting go of the inhibitions that hold us back. I'm not saying that we're suddenly going to become exhibitionists and we're going to lose the plot and we're going to be so spontaneous that we'll run around the place like headless chickens. I'm actually saying exactly the opposite. When you are in your prison cell, existing through those 70,000 thoughts every day, you're bouncing off the walls of that prison cell like a headless chicken with nowhere to go. But actually, as we now know, you only think there is nowhere to go. Now, over the next few weeks, as I said a couple of minutes ago, the Thursday morning videos constitute something of a training course that will enable you get to the point where you have a full understanding and hopefully through meditation, some experience of what it is like to liberate yourself from your own thoughts. But that's not enough. Being able to cope, being able to live a stress-free life, it's wonderful. It'll change your life. It'll enable you live three to five to seven years longer. But it's still only the beginning. Liberating yourself from your own thoughts is not enough. You have to decide what you're going to do with your liberated mind. This frightens the living daylights out of most people with whom I work. What am I going to do? What do I really want? What kind of things do I want to experience in my life? What would I prefer to have rather than what do I think I want? You see, people really get tied up on that last one because they're afraid they will set their mind to something that they only think they want. And when they get it as a result of setting their mind, they realize that isn't what they wanted at all. Now, I've used a key phrase there, setting your mind. And that is what the third of those Thursday morning videos on November the 23rd is going to be all about. And that's obviously key. But what are you going to do with your liberated mind? What kind of life would you prefer to live? And whilst this frightens most people when put to them in the first place, there's no need to be frightened at all. Because if we go back to the first part of today's podcast episode, where we explored the difference between right and wrong, or, or good and evil for that matter, you'll realize that in liberating your mind, you're always going to move in the right direction. Why? Because as we liberate our mind, we get the most fundamental of choices right. The choice to be present. 
Once I'm present, I know what's going on. Once I'm present, I get a feel or a sense of what I need to do to move me in a direction that feels right, or if I can put it in more fundamental terms, that feels best for me. You see, you may have noticed I've used the word feeling a number of times. We're talking about an instinctive sense, an, instinct, an instinctive sense of right and wrong, an instinctive sense of good and evil, an instinctive sense of what the right thing is to say, the right thing is to do, and in, an instinctive sense of the direction in which I need to move today so that I live my life to the full today. Because when we become present, we realize that now is what matters. Now is all that matters. We've talked about the madness of planning and planning in the corporate world. That's what we talked about in last week's podcast. We talked about the madness of planning and how a plan once written is out of date. We talked about how by being able as human beings to conceptualize and throw our minds forward, we throw our minds to the wolves of our own thoughts and savage ourselves. Now is all that matters because it is only now that I can be present. It is only now that I can turn up to the flow of universal energy that is only flowing now. It is only now that I can put my best foot forward so that when the next now arrives, I am better placed to put my best foot forward again to move forward one now at a time in the direction that is best for me, in the direction that some stupid, thought-up, half-cooked plan could never move me. So what we need to do is come into the now and trust ourselves. Because once you get in touch with your own intuition, your own gut instinct, your own feeling of what is going on now, your feeling of what is best to do now, your feeling of what is best for you, the overwhelming experience that you will have is one of trust. You can allow the real you take you by the hand and lead you one now at a time to the kind of life that your thinking mind could never have imagined when it was sitting in its prison cell admiring the decorations on the wall. Now, finally, I need you to know that these three sessions in the Thursday morning videos, tomorrow and for the following two Thursdays, are important for you. I also need you to know that on each Friday for the next three weeks, I will be live on an open Zoom so that you or anybody else, any other fellow traveler, can ask me any questions that arise as a result of each of the three training videos over the next three Thursdays. So we've training video every Thursday and we have an open Zoom every Friday for about 40, 45 minutes at 1 p.m. Irish time, 1 p.m. UK time, and whatever time that is where you are. Why am I doing this? Well, I'm doing it for two reasons. Number one, 
I've been giving away free stuff since 2018. I've been giving away free stuff for the last almost 28 years that I've been doing this. Why? Because it makes a difference. And every little helps because I really do believe that we all have a vested interest in making this world a slightly better place by changing our own little world. The other reason I'm doing this is, and I'll warn you now, or I will alert you now, is that come the end of this month, come so-called Black Friday, which is the 24th of November this year, I will be opening my online program, The Psychology of Success, to new program owners. And I'll be doing that in a very special way with a very special offer. But I'm not going to try and sell you that now or even when we get to Black Friday. Because ultimately, given what we've talked about today, the choice you have to make is whether you're worth it or not. Whether your life is worth a little investment for now of your time, your time in listening to these podcasts, your time in perhaps going through the videos over the coming days, your time in perhaps turning up to one of those Zooms. And if you don't turn up to those Zooms, it doesn't matter because the recording of those Zooms will be available every Friday afternoon for the next three weeks as well. If you're not signed up to my Thursday morning videos, you're not going to have access to this training and you're not going to have access to those Zooms. So if you haven't signed up for my Thursday morning videos, use the link below in your podcast player that says sign up for the free Thursday morning videos. Couldn't be simpler than that. And one way or another, we will talk again in the coming days.